come now to the scripture, let me ask you please to pray, uh, to pray with me. Uh, Father in heaven, your word is a light to our feet, a lamp as well. And it guides us, and so we pray even now that as we turn the pages of our Bibles to read Scripture and to think upon it, that your Spirit will work through it. Your Spirit has breathed it forth. Now we pray that your Spirit would take this word and etch it within us so that it takes roots. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you've already made in the lives of those who believe a place for this word. You've written it upon our hearts. You're in us to receive it, to work it in us. And so I pray that this word would find its perfect place in us and the perfect result for which it has been intended on this day in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Corinthians, please. 2 Corinthians in chapter 3, uh, just verses 1 through 6. 2 Corinthians in chapter 3, please. <clears throat> this is the word of the Lord. Verse 1. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you're a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ Toward God, that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us. But our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, so again, dare I say, one of those passages that summarizes a lot, gathers a lot especially concerning our identity, who we are, and our confidence to live out who we are, right? Our identity, really who we are, because of Jesus, and then how the confidence to really, to be that, to live, to really live that, to really live that out. Paul gives us another picture, I say another picture, because you remember, if you were here last Sunday, that in the verses preceding, there was a picture, a metaphor, an image that we were to capture. And it was an image of which we weren't terribly familiar. It was a triumphal procession. Uh, that is, uh, an image of a Roman general who had conquered uh, another land and was bringing uh, his captives to show off his greatness. And... Uh, Paul uses that image to say that Jesus uh, is the conquering general. He's the conquering hero. He's the conquering king. And he has conquered Satan. He's conquered sin and death. And us. He leads us in this triumphal procession. And what he's doing when he does that is showing us off. He's saying, these are mine. 
<laughs> this is the spoils of my victory. These people whom I've saved. And so we're in that great procession. And just like in the great Roman processions, triumphal processions, where there was an aroma that was going through to, 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 to announce the victory and the greatness and to give thanks to God, there is an aroma as well. And we're that aroma. That as we're being led, we're that aroma throughout the world. We're the aroma of Christ to God. And, and throughout the world. And, and what happens as we're led, as believers are led in this great procession, is that all people are divided. Because we're the aroma of life to those who are being saved. And the aroma of death to those who are perishing. That's what happens when Jesus leads us as his people in this procession. That's what happens in the world. So Paul asks the question, who's sufficient for this? Who can, who can be that? Right? And, and, and now he continues with that same kind of thought. Who's sufficient for this? Now, the context of this second image is that it appears as if the church in Corinth is asking Paul for a letter of reference, a letter of recommendation. Are you really an apostle? Should we really listen to you? Who knows you that we know so we can trust them, so we can trust you? Yeah, that's what they're really asking. And so what he's about to tell us is that we are actually, they and us, a letter from Christ. Now, I was thinking the other day that, that, you know, that first image of a triumphal procession was unknown to us. We kind of had to work our way through it to understand what it is. I'm not so sure that, that a letter is unknown to us now. Uh, you remember letters. You've gone to the museums and you've seen uh, soldiers having written home to their parents and their loved ones. You know, those were those pieces of paper with handwriting on them. They were letters, right? And, and, and we're to be that as well. And that's... That's the image. So last week, see yourself as being led as a captive of Jesus, rejoicing that you've been captured by him and you're the aroma of him. Have that in your mind everywhere you go. Everywhere you go, you're being led in that procession and, 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 and something is happening because you're a captive of Christ, that the world is dividing around you, most especially as you speak of Christ. And now we're a letter, and yet you understand a letter, uh, in that sense, being sent and being, as he puts it, read by all. It's amazing that, that, that they were asking Paul at this point in time for a letter of reference. That, that shows you how his relationship with the church in Corinth had, had deteriorated, really, how they had become to distrust him because of others who had come in and to, to denigrate uh, Paul and his, his, his apostleship. And others had come in. And these others, no doubt, had letters of reference. They're, they were common in the day of Paul. Paul wrote some. Uh, he, he wrote letters of, or at least commendations in his letters of various people. For instance, in Romans in chapter 16, he, he writes of, of Phoebe, says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints to help her in whatever she may need from you, for she's been a patron of many and of myself as well. And so he writes a letter in a sense of commendation, of, of reference for, for Phoebe. He says, when she comes to you, 
she's, she, she, I know her. You can trust her. She's a great servant of, of, of the church. In fact, even in, even in this letter of, 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 of 2 Corinthians, as we'll get to chapter 8, some months down the road. But when we get there, we'll see that Paul's uh, going to take up a collection. And, and he's, he's saying, you can trust the ones who will be carrying this collection. You can give them your money. And so he says, we take this course, this is chapter 8, verse 20. We take this course so that no one should blame us about the generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them, we are sending our brother, unnamed, but our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, uh, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he's my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. As for our brothers, they're messengers of the church. So, so again, these letters of reference are coming. It's not unknown. I mean, it was a useful thing. We do it today, you know. I've written I've whole files of reference letters I've, I've written for people, for jobs or to get into graduate school or whatever that is. And, and you've received them and there's a certain, you wonder, is this true? You know, but we read them. But, and, and probably these false apostles that were in Corinth at the time had letters of reference as well. In fact, Paul makes a bit of note of them uh, and on how they are, how they're received in, in, in 2 Corinthians 10, uh, verse 12, he writes, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, and they're without understanding, their, their references come from each other. And, and Paul's saying, so they're really not very helpful, actually. So Paul says, what do I do here? I'm in a bit of a pickle. They don't trust me. They want a letter of reference, but to give them a letter of reference, even if I talk about myself, I have to commend myself. And that's foolish. I'm nothing. And then he says, you know what? You're the letter. If you want a letter of reference about me and my ministry and the apostles, it's, it's you. Look at yourselves. I came there. None of you believed. None of you knew anything of the gospel when I arrived in Corinth. But now look at what's happened. So you're actually the letter. You're actually this 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 letter. Notice how he puts it in, in verse three. He puts it like this. He says, <clears throat> and you show that you're a letter from Christ delivered by us. He said, all I did was I, I'm the courier. You know, I just showed up. I, I deliver the letter uh, by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. He said, listen, you are evidence that the gospel I preached was the fulfillment of the new covenant promised by God, because it isn't on tablets of stone. But it's on your hearts. Something's really happened to you. And what's really happened to you has really happened to you from God. And it's evidence. It's evidence of the fulfillment of this new covenant. For for instance, in Jeremiah. In chapter uh, 33. We read or 31. We read of this new covenant. Listen, you know this. We've been here before. Verse 31, Jeremiah prophesies, 
And behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I'll forgive their iniquity, and I'll remember their sins no more. That happened. And in this contrast that Paul is making, old and new covenant, he's simply saying in the, in the old covenant, it was given to us on tablets of, of stone. You know that the hand of God wrote on those stone tablets. And the difficulty was that those stone tablets went to be read by people with stone hearts. That that word by itself, without a work of the spirit, changed nothing, could change nothing at all. Could just as he says, bring condemnation and death. But. He says, something happened that that law was actually written on your hearts. That it was, you were inclined towards it as opposed to opposed to it. That you came to really know God. And you came to know him by the word of this gospel that I preached, which was the fulfillment of this promise, this covenant made by God. Do you? And that you knew that God was your God and you belonged to him and you knew that your sins were forgiven. Ezekiel puts it like this in Ezekiel in chapter 36. I read some of this earlier this morning uh, to give us assurance of forgiveness of sins. Uh, uh, Ezekiel puts puts it like this about this new covenant, verse 24. He says, I'll take... You from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. Verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You see, the way Jeremiah puts it is that God will write his law on our hearts, put it in our minds. He'll he'll change the very inclination of our of our hearts and then being against him, but for him, if you will. And the way Ezekiel puts it is that I'll take out your heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. And if you're a Bible, really doesn't mean flesh like sinful nature flesh, but flesh meaning alive. So I'm going to take out this dead heart and put in a, a, a heart of flesh that's, a, that's alive, you see. The way Jesus put it was that you'll be born again. So Jesus put it. You'll be born of the Spirit, you see. Because this is a work of the Holy Spirit. And that's what the Apostle Peter promised on his first sermon. After Jesus had been resurrected, after Jesus had ascended, he sent his spirit. And what Peter said on that first sermon was, 
This is what the prophet said. Prophet Joel and others. This is what they talked about. That in this new covenant, the Spirit would come upon us and He would change our hearts. And He would change the very inclination of our lives. He would He would write it upon our hearts. He would take out hearts of stone and put in hearts that were alive to be able to receive this great salvation and to embrace God, to trust Him. You see, Jesus called it being born again. Jeremiah would then say also that you'd know God, you really know him. You know that he's your God. Therefore you'll follow him, therefore you'll worship him. Therefore you'll listen to him. Therefore you'll trust him. And in all of that, Ezekiel would say, he'd put his spirit within us and cause us to walk in his ways. And Jesus would say, this is the new covenant in my blood. Shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Take up your cross and follow me. See, that's it. Paul said, you are my letter because everything that's happened to you, you see, has happened in accordance with what God had promised. So, so what else do you really need from me? Look at your, uh, look at your own life. Um, and when, when Paul writes... Get back here to Second Corinthians. When Paul writes this, he says, For it's from God who made us sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant, verse six. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. He's saying that's that's what's happened. The old covenant contrasts with the old covenant and the new covenant. In the old covenant, it was it was a law covenant, a covenant that came on stone. It was written, and what was necessary with it, it wasn't part and parcel of it, other than a special work of grace in the old covenant. That needed the Spirit to really change hearts. Because all the law can do is condemn us. And it can lead us after the Spirit comes upon us. But its first wave upon us is to show us our sin. He said, but now the Spirit has come. Fills you. Enables you to follow after me. Now you're this, this communication, this, this, this letter. And by this, Paul wasn't saying at all that the old covenant was bad or that the law was bad. In fact, in fact, he, on another occasion, spoke of the law by saying that it was good. Romans chapter 7, verse 11. He says, for sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy. The commandment is holy and righteous and good. And did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means it was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin. And that through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. We know that the law is spiritual, but I'm of the flesh sold. Under sin. So when this law comes, you see, it, it, it condemns. Why? Because of the sin that's within us. Paul says, no, I'm a minister of this new covenant and I bring this covenant of the work of the Spirit. And, and you're evidence of that. You, 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 you see that. So why do you need this reference from me? So, given that that's the context now, well, what's it really say? It was two things, really, two things, I think, at least, that this says to them 
and also and also to us. First, this. They were all letters of Christ. Notice how he puts it. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts, to be known and read by all. And you show that you're a letter from Christ. You see, we're letters. We're communications um, to be read by the whole world, really. I might be a little ambitious for you, but by your friends, by your neighbors, by your family, by people in church, by people you work with, by people you come in contact with. We're to be that that letter, you see, uh, and 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 to communicate really the truth of Christ. You know, in the previous image, we were to be the aroma of Christ. And now we're to be a letter. We're sent by him to be a letter. You know, the corny phrase, but it's not really corny. It's really true that you might be the only gospel people read. You might be the only letter that people read uh, until, of course, they read you. And if they read you and God works in their hearts in such a way that draws them to himself, then they'll, they'll get off you soon and, and begin reading the scripture. But, 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 you, but you're that, you're the, he says, you're the letter, you're the communication, uh, you're the epistle uh, to the world. And, and we're to communicate. Think about this. This is our identity. We, by our lives and our lips, by how we live and by what we say, we're to be communicating, as the letter communicates, to the world that Jesus is Lord. We're to communicate that the gospel is true. We're to communicate that there is life by believing in the name of Jesus. We're to communicate that Jesus really is the Son of God. We're to communicate that we really are sinners. We are to communicate that God really does love us and he's expressed that love in Jesus. And the love of Jesus, the love of God through Jesus, was expressed in the life of Jesus, yes. In the teaching of Jesus, yes. In the compassion of Jesus, yes. But most importantly, upon the cross, of Jesus, where he died for the sins of sinners, that he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. That's the love of God for us in Jesus, that he demonstrates his love for us in this, that Christ right, was crucified. Christ died while we were yet sinners. That's the evidence of the love of God for us, that he really does love us. We're to communicate that, that God loves us, and we know that because of Jesus. We know that because of the cross and we're to communicate that as we come to confess our sins, to repent and trust in Jesus, we're forgiven our sins, reconciled to God. And that's real life. That's what we're to communicate. That's all. Uh, that's what we're to communicate to the world uh, by way of uh, our lives and by way of how we speak of Jesus. All right. That's that's our identity. You need to see yourself like that. Therefore, the question is, for me and for you, for them, are we clear? In the old days, when you actually received a letter in the mail, it was handwritten. Sometimes you may have someone who wrote to you and you couldn't quite read their handwriting. <laughs> it's pretty annoying. Um, sometimes you get a Christmas card, right? And there'd be a note on it and a signature. And you had no clue 
who this was from. It wasn't really clear. What are they really trying to say to me in this Christmas card? Are they saying they miss me or are they saying they're really happy I'm not coming for Christmas? You know, you just don't know what they're trying to communicate to you in this letter. It doesn't happen as much anymore because if we send letters, we probably type them. Uh, but still, we have to speak in a language that people really understand, write in a language. Is it clear? Is it clear to people that we really are believers in, followers of Jesus. Now, of course, you can say, well, not everybody, because I don't have a chance to talk to everybody about it. We get that. But you see the point. We're to live in such a way and talk in such a way about God and ourselves that if someone finds out we're a believer in Jesus, they're not surprised. Unless they have a completely wrong view of Jesus, they might say, wow, you're a different kind of Christian, perhaps. But you see my point. Or if another believer finds out that you're a Christian, are they surprised that you're a follower of Jesus? Would it be really clear in all of that? I was thinking, because I watch, you know, detective shows, television, that sort of thing, that I'm always intrigued by the handwriting analyst. I don't even know if it's even credible. It is on television. Therefore, but, you know, they have this this letter or this check, this document or someone has been handwritten and they want to know if it was really handwritten by the defendant. Right. And so they have this handwriting analysis and he goes through all this stuff. and He says, clearly, it was written by the defendant. And I was thinking about that. People look at my life. Can they see this letter that's been clearly written by Jesus? In other words, is his handwriting all over me? Can they, can they really see the handwriting of, of Jesus? And you think, well, what would that look like? What would the handwriting of Jesus really look like? But that would sell for a pretty penny, wouldn't it? If you can, you know, I mean, slivers of the cross sell for a lot. You can only imagine if somebody had a letter from Jesus. That was to be funny. Now, um, what would it look like on you and me? The real handwriting of Jesus. Well, I think if we go back to Jeremiah and Ezekiel, that could give us a, a clue, a hint as to what that would really uh, look like. That that we, would be seen in our lives that when the truth of God, when the commandments of God, when the law of God, when the wisdom of God comes to us. And we embrace it rather than turn from it. That we embrace it even if, because it will expose our sin. That we embrace it. We say, no, no, this is truth. And so rather than turn from it, rather than rebel against it, rather than put it off, rather than marginalize it, rather than to ignore it, when that comes to us, as Jeremiah said, if really we belong to God by way of this new covenant promise that he has inclined our hearts now towards him, he has written it, Upon our hearts. That doesn't mean that we read it, we go, oh, this would be great. No, sometimes it pierces deeply and it hurts. But we know it's the truth. And rather than ignore it or turn away from it, we allow it to inform our lives in such a way that we confess our sins and we repent. And in our repentance, what we're saying is, 
This is true. This should be true of my life. I want this to be true of my life. Therefore, God, enable me. You said that you put your spirit within me to enable me to walk in your way. So I rely now upon your spirit. Enable me now to walk in your ways. I mean, that is the handwriting of Jesus upon us. I know that you're God. Not only God, but my God. And there's something real personal here between us. And thus, I come to you to give you thanks to worship you. That's sort of, who is God? He's the one we worship. You're going to find out the gods in your life. Look and see who you worship. To whom do you praise for who they are? To whom do you give thanks for all that they have given to you? Uh, to whom do you uh, humbly submit to? To joyfully obey? I mean, that's who we worship. And, and so God is... The one we worship, he's our God and we know him, we trust him, we pray to him, we seek him, we know that he's near to us and can be found through Jesus. And so all of that's true for us. We should be a person who receives his word. We should be a person who's praying. We should be a person who's worshiping. We should be a person who's living this out. We should be a person uh, about whom the fruit of the spirit is evidence. And evidenced in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These kinds of things should be true of us as we're living this out. And there's a real sense in which it should be noticeable. There's a real sense in which our lives should be noticeable. And it isn't just that we're on some sort of self-help kick or just trying to do better or just trying to turn over a new leaf. But we realize that all of this is a work of God in us. So one of the great dangers of, of living out the Christian life before the world is that, it, is, is that our behaviors can be imitated by others. There's lots of nice, good, joyful people out there. And, uh, and, and, and so the danger for us is people just think, oh, he's religious, might even that he's a Christian. And so that's how Christians live. But, but this, you see, is he says, we're a letter and an aroma, but a letter. We're to be out there making certain, as certain as we can, that people understand that the lives we live are because of what Christ has done. Right? Because of what Christ has done, his spirit within us. I mean, the church in Corinth, many of them had come from backgrounds that only God could change. First Corinthians in chapter 6 and verse 9, Paul writes to them in his first letter, Or do you not know that the righteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. So you know that when Paul's writing to this church, he's saying to them, you know, you're walking down the street and people look at you and they really then say, what happened to him? What happened to her? Now, many of us haven't lived such notoriously despicable lives or sinful lives 
before others, but we know our own hearts. And so sometimes, rather than people just observing it, we have to actually tell them. We have to actually speak to them and speak of our lives and our trust and say, you, you really don't know what's in here. Now, you do because it's in you too, but, but, but it's in me. And, and I want to acknowledge that fact. This is what Christ has done. That's the sense of, of our witness, of our, of our testimony to others. And here's the, the punchline to all of that. Paul writes, but such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the, by the Spirit of our God. He's saying, that's what happens when the gospel comes to you by the Holy Spirit. You're washed clean. Ezekiel, I'll sprinkle you clean. Oh, he's a Presbyterian. <laughs> Ezekiel, I'll sprinkle you clean with water, right? And I'll sprinkle you clean so you'll be cleansed. Uh, Jeremiah, they'll remember your sins no more. You're washed, sanctified. That means here that you're separated from the world. Separated from your previous understanding, your previous ways, your previous life. And now you've been separated from all of that. To God, you're his now, and you know that, and that was done to you. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified, meaning that God now declares you righteous. You're justified. And this, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, how can I be washed? How can I be sanctified? How can I be justified? I know my life, so it's only because of Jesus and it's only because of the work of the Spirit. And Paul's saying to them, you're my letter. This happened to you. And so you don't need a letter. Look at yourselves. But because they're that letter, because we're that letter, we need to realize that this is how we live it out. And we need to live this out in the world so that people, people see that. Second point is this. The second point deals with us, not as simply letters, but like Paul as ministers. Right? When Paul was an apostle, that was... Uh, a, a, a unique ministry. But when he speaks of being a minister of the new covenant, he doesn't talk about being an apostle of the new covenant. He talks about being a minister, a servant of it. That's what a minister is, a servant of this new covenant. And so we're all that. We're letters, right? We're letters, but we're also servants of this ministers of this New covenant. By being that letter, there's a sense in which we were ministering the truth of this new covenant to the world. Does that make sense? Follow me. Are you with me? Say hello. Just don't say anything. I know you're Presbyterians. You look like you got it. Okay, good. Thank you. Now, um, uh, there is this sense that, we're, that we minister this new covenant. And that's when Paul asked the question, who's sufficient for this? Who's really who can really do this? Who's competent for this? Who wants to write their own letter of reference? Who wants to say, I can do this? Sign me up. Here's my letter of reference signed by me. No, that would be foolish. That would be crazy because this task is really impossible. No one can make a Christian. Other than God. Right. No one can make a Christian other than God. No one can do what the new covenant promises 
to incline our hearts to God, to take out a heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh, to put his spirit within us and cause us to... Nobody, no human being, Paul, not, Paul can do it, you and I can't do that. No one can do that. And so he's saying, who's sufficient for this? We, we can't will ourselves to be a Christian. It's not even done by our decision. Our decision follows something else. That's been done because only God can do this work of inclining our hearts to him and taking out our heart of stone and putting in a heart of flesh and all that. Only God can do that. Now, so, so, so Paul says, who's sufficient for this? And, and he gives two answers, really. The implied answer first is no one. But the answer that he clings to is no one except by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit's work. But Paul says, there's a measure and there's some sense in which we're a part of the Spirit's work as he ministers this new, as he ministers this new, this new covenant. You know, everyone who's ever been called by God to serve him in any way specifically has felt, hopefully, inadequate, weak to do that. Uh, just a couple of Old Testament characters, Gideon. You might remember uh, God called Gideon to do this great work uh, in ancient Israel as one of Israel's early judges. And uh, Gideon didn't think he could do anything for God. In fact, when, when God happened along Gideon, Gideon was threshing grain in the wine press. And you, you don't thresh grain in the wine press. You press grapes in the wine press. But the reason he was threshing wheat in the wine press was because he was afraid. He was afraid that if he threshed his wheat out in the open, the enemies would come and steal it from him. So he had to hide to do it. So he's not what you call your strong and courageous guy. He's afraid of the enemies. And, and the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, no, you're strong and courageous and all of that. And Gideon says, huh? Who are you talking to? And he says, well, I want you to go do this. And Gideon says, you don't understand. I come from the weakest clan and I'm the least in my father's house. So go find somebody else. But the angel of the Lord says, no, 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 no. You. And of course, Gideon was so shook by it all. He says, well, I'm still not convinced. You have to show me. And thus the fleece and all of that. Jeremiah was called by God. To be his prophet, Jeremiah said, I'm too young. I have nothing to say. So you'll have something to say. Isaiah. Who am I? I'm a man of unclean lips. I come from a people of unclean lips. Ezekiel. Moses. They all knew their weakness. We know our weakness. And this is an impossibility for us to undertake this ministry, this new covenant ministry. But even with that weakness, it shouldn't discourage us from taking it up. And here's why. Two principles, very easy to state, very easy to remember. First principle is this. Total inability in us. Second principle, total Ability in Christ. See, our weakness plus his strength is sufficiency. Our inability plus his ability is competence. And so he says to us, 
Now go and be that letter. Go and minister this new covenant throughout the world. You'll be the aroma of Christ. If we can mix our metaphors, you can be the aroma of Christ everywhere you go. It'll divide. And, and now as this letter goes, you'll be the witness. You'll be the testimony by how you live and, and, and the words that you speak. And, and you're, you're it. You're it. You're the ones to commend this gospel. Even commend these apostles. Even commend this church, even command the church to the world. And you're weak, you can't really do it. Paul even said he just delivered. I was thinking the other day, this letter being written on hearts, and I was thinking about how, how I was taught by one of my teachers, and again, I don't know if this is a good teaching technique when I was in elementary school, it didn't bear much fruit, consider my handwriting. But when she was teaching handwriting, I remember one day, uh, Miss Maine, Dad, I don't know if you remember her. Uh, Miss Maine, I was uh, in third grade, and, and I was trying to learn to write cursive. And uh, I was writing on my paper badly, I'm sure. And she came along and put her hand over my hand. And when she put her hand over my hand, then she even pressed harder into the paper, and it looked really good. And then when she took her hand away, well, not so much. Uh, and I was thinking, is that how the Holy Spirit writes upon the people? See, we're holding the pen, and we're writing. But, but then the Spirit of God comes along, and he, he puts his hand over our hand, and he presses in to the heart. And he writes, Jesus is Lord Savior. Right? And, and we go, well, who did that? Well, I, I held the pen. <laughs> uh, but I didn't do that. It's just like with David and Goliath. Well, I whipped the stone, but, but I, 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 I didn't do that. Right? And he does that. And what's amazingly, amazing, is that he does it through us. You know, the church in Corinth, of all the churches Paul writes to, may have been the most immoral. It may have been the most argumentative, not only with him, but with each other. It may have been the most proud and may have misunderstood the work of the Spirit more than anyone. I mean, they were getting drunk at what they called the Lord's table. I mean, so he writes to them that you are the letter. <laughs> You're the letter. You're the letter that people will read. And, and he called them the church of God in Corinth and all of that. One author puts it like this. He says, this is rather remarkable. Paul says that even though they may have been the most imperfect church with whom he was acquainted. And this church, the church in Corinth, there were factions, as we mentioned, and sexual immorality, questions about marriage and divorce. But Paul's assertion is this. And this author 
literally translates this section of scripture just like this. Our letter, you are. Sounds like Yoda. Our letter, you are, is remarkable given the disloyalty, the fickleness, the waywardness evident within the Messianic community in Corinth. Nevertheless, Paul carefully addresses them as the church of God in Corinth, sanctified, assuring them that God, having set them facing Christ, will guarantee their ongoing loyalty to their Lord. Certainly long-term sinners had undergone astonishingly, astonishing moral transformation through the power of Christ and the power of the Spirit. The signs of grace, together with the continuing marks of sin, are visible in this church, which, like all others, is both flesh and spirit, because it has one foot in the present age and the other in the age to come. So, don't be discouraged. If you're weak, good. It's impossible. You know your sin. Good that you know it. Confess it, repent, trust. Be that letter. One final quote, I'll end with this. From third century church father Origen, he writes this. He says, everywhere I go, Christ is spoken against by the leaders and by what Christ stands for is considered a threat to government and to other religions. I don't know if that sounds familiar to you. And yet the glory of Jesus Christ is shining in the lives of ordinary men and women all through the empire. And large numbers are being converted every day because they see the glory of Jesus in the flesh and blood of ordinary men and women. That is how the word of God spreads. About big campaigns, about ordinary men and women shining the glory of Christ. Letters. Let's pray. Father, pray for me, for us, that uh, we would get this. That this image would be real in us. That we would know for certain that we are to be Letters of Christ. And we would know that because we, we know you're writing upon our hearts. It's, it's your handwriting. It's genuine. It's real. The Spirit of God has come upon us. God, we feel weak. We know our sin. And yet enable us, please, to live and to speak in such a way that the message through our Lives is clear that Jesus is Lord. Father, I pray that we may bless those around us with the truth of this gospel. And I pray that we may bless one another, most especially those who find themselves in difficulties, whether it's physical or emotional, spiritual temptations, relational, financial social, whether it's fears that plague us or disappointments 